Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good, how are you? Good. Can you hear me? Is my mic on? <laughs> I know, I know. I have a big mouth. Okay, now you, now you can hear me a little bit better. All right. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-lead ministers here. Thank you for joining us this morning at the Oceanside Sanctuary. If you haven't been hanging around, then you may not know that we have been working through a teaching series called Reconstructing Faith, Coming to Terms with What It Means for Us to Have a sort of positive sense of faith after we might have been wrestling with changes in our beliefs. For a lot of folks in this congregation, and, and this isn't true for everybody, so if this isn't true for you, bear with us. But for a lot of folks in our congregation, this has become a kind of sanctuary for people who have taken apart maybe the traditional faiths of their upbringing. They've started to question a lot of the beliefs and the ideas that they took for granted when they were younger. And they have started to try to wrestle with what it might mean for them to have a, a spiritual life following Jesus after dismantling some of those other beliefs. So that's what this series is really all about. We've taken six topics that we think are really central to a life of faith, but also can be a bit problematic after we've asked harder questions. Uh, and today, actually, we're going to talk about faith. What does faith mean after we have questioned some of those foundational ideas that we were given when we were younger? So if you would just take a moment to pray with me and for me, we will jump into Matthew chapter 13 together today. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time and this place and for the people who have congregated here. We thank you for the relationships that are represented in this room, some of the friendships that have been forged in a period of uh, transition. And we thank you for some of the relationships that have yet to be made in this room for those who are new and looking for a safe place to connect and to grow and to transform in some way. And we acknowledge that those relationships are only possible because we sense a connection to something bigger than us. And we don't always know what to call that or how to describe that, but we recognize that you are good and we desire that goodness. So help us to connect with that today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so not long ago, Janelle and I, I say not long ago, but it was really like 15 years ago now, 2008, Janelle and I moved back to Southern California after being away for about 15 years. And when we moved back, we landed in this amazing little rental property in, in the kind of Fire Mountain area of Oceanside. It was ridiculously cheap for uh, the area, right? I, I'm embarrassed to admit that we rented a house for $1,800 a month in 2008 in Oceanside, which was for us like all the money in the world because we had owned a home in Ohio and our mortgage was $1,200. So the idea of renting a home for $1,800 seemed impossible to us, right? And, uh, but we were grateful to have it. And it was this little house on California street, if you know where that is. And we had a, uh, a big sort of patch of dirt in the backyard with big eucalyptus trees. And, you know, cause we had no money cause we were spending $1,800 a month on rent. We thought we'd grow our own food. And plus, you know, we're in California, right? And everybody's gardening. So we, we started a garden and I kid you not, starting the garden was like nothing more than throwing a bunch of seed in the backyard and laying out a sprinkler head. 
you know, so it would like, you know, water that patch. And the next thing you knew, we had like tomatoes and lettuce and peppers, like it was exploding with food. And I was like, ah, I'm an amazing gardener. Like I should write a book about gardening. I should have a podcast about gardening, you know? And, and I was like, oh, the spiritual life is like gardening. And if only you could be a gardener like me, you know, and you could grow all these good things. Anyway, I get airing it really quickly. So, so then a couple years later, we were uh, fortunate enough to, you know, get on our feet a little bit better after the move. And we were able to buy a house about a mile up the road. And it was like the absolute bottom of the market, wake of the Great Recession. Otherwise, there's no way we could have bought a house in California at the time. It's 2012. Bought a house. And I was like, I will bring my godly gardening skills to Dunstan Street. You know, we moved to the house on Dunstan Street. And we, I did the same thing. I threw a bunch of seed and I started, you know, I pointed a hose in the general direction of the seed. And it just didn't work the same way. Like a few things like sort of sprouted and they looked sort of sad and pathetic and the tomatoes were terrible. And I mean, still better than tomatoes by the garden, right? Or at the grocery store. Uh, but it, it was like a sad little garden. It didn't explode with life like the other one. Well, so then the next season I like tackled it with a lot of intention. I built gardening boxes and I put in irrigation and I put it on a timer and I like fertilized and I, Garden still sucked, honestly. It was terrible. Like, it just was awful. Like, we couldn't get decent tomatoes to grow. And then Janelle and I were fighting about how often to prune the tomatoes. And, you know, like, I wanted to prune them to, like, absolutely nothing. And she wanted to, like, let them grow wild. And for a while, that was a source of contention. Anyway, all of this to say, I'm a terrible gardener, it turns out. So these two experiences of gardening that I had uh, remind me a lot of life actually. Uh, sometimes we put our least effort into something, and something amazing, miraculous happens. And sometimes we put our best efforts into something, and it sort of falls on its face. And yet there's this persistence, there's this, this recognition that something good could possibly happen, and so we continue after it. Remember that it was about the second year I was trying to garden, and I just couldn't get anything to grow. And it was right after I started here. And I drove here for work one day after, like, you know, watering the garden in the morning and being so frustrated that nothing would grow. And I pulled into the parking lot here. And as I parked, I jumped out of my car, and I looked. There's this, like, terrible little, like, dirt planter with, like, bushes, you'll notice, on the other side of our, of our parking lot. And I jumped out of my car, and I happened to look down. And there, out of that nasty little patch of dirt next to our parking lot, a tomato plant was spontaneously growing. It had the most beautiful, like, little cherry tomatoes on it. And I was like, God is mocking me. <laughs> Sometimes we put our best efforts into things and we don't get what we want. Sometimes we put our least efforts into things and things grow inexplicably. Sometimes we do nothing whatsoever and there it is. Goodness is sprouting right before us. It's very hard for me to come to terms with the idea that I might not have total control over everything in my life. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, he's speaking to his disciples after this experience of casting a demonic spirit out of a boy. And the disciples are amazed. Uh, and they're amazed partly because they couldn't do it despite their best efforts. And they come to him, verse, uh, verse 19, and they say, uh, why could we not cast out this demon? And he said to them, because of your little faith. 
For truly, I tell you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. I'm not sure that there's a more frustrating verse in the entire Bible than that. I don't know when you last tried to speak to a mountain and tell it to move, but it just doesn't work that way. I think it's important to interpret Jesus' saying about mustard seeds and mountains in light of what Jesus said earlier about faith and mustard seeds. And this is our passage today. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 says this. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it's the greatest of shrubs, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. There's something about faith, then, that does empower us. There's something about faith that allows us to accomplish something bigger than ourselves, something like making mountains move when you call upon it. But interpreting that saying in light of this one, I think, shifts our perspective. Jesus says faith is indeed like a mustard seed. You plant it in the ground. Very, very small, and then it grows, and it becomes bigger, and then eventually it becomes really big, and then the creatures of the world can take shelter in its branches. And this, I think, is what faith is actually like. I think if we understand faith in this way, then we can understand how faith can help us do amazing and incredible things. The first thing I notice about this parable is that Jesus is pointing us towards a kind of inherent and ordinarily and utterly mundane goodness in life. If you take a seed and you plant it, something grows. That's just literally how life works. If I want to plant tomatoes, I plant this tiny little thing called a tomato seed. I put it in the ground, I cover it up with dirt, I water it, and then I wait, and eventually a tomato plant grows, and it grows these tomatoes that are amazing. Like, even if they're not so great, they're still better than what you can buy at the grocery store. Every single time I eat a tomato that I grow in our garden, I make a noise like this. Mm. It's like the expression of joy and anguish all at the same time. Joy that it tastes so good and anguish at the utter injustice of the garbage that you buy at the grocery store. Why is it so good? Well, I would suggest because life is good. Life is amazing. If you take seeds and you plant them in the ground, you guys, and you bury them and you water them, It grows. It's miraculous. Jesus, I think, is first and foremost orienting us to the goodness of life. Life is a miracle. If you experience it that way, it completely shifts your perspective. Somehow, some way, life is full of incredible goodness around us. And Jesus talks about this in all of his parables. He talks about planting seeds and growing fruit. He talks about trees that bear good fruit or maybe bad fruit. He talks about bread. You work leaven into it and then the bread rises and then you bake it and you eat it. By the way, I make noises when I eat fresh bread too. It's amazing. 
Life is good, and it's good in its most utterly ordinary, pervasive way. We're surrounded by that goodness. The other thing I notice about this parable is there is a part for us to play. So whatever this thing faith is, we have something to do as a part of it. You plant the seed, right? You put it in the ground. You cover it up with dirt. You water it. You pull the weeds. You fertilize the soil. You do all those little things that represent your part. So faith does involve some sense in which you do something. And right now, there's if you were raised religious, and especially a particular kind of religious, there's some pastor in your head right now telling you that there's nothing that you can do. But there is. Most of the best things in life come from something that we play some small part in. In fact, it is the playing the part in it that fulfills our vocation as human beings. We were created to do, we were created to plant, we were created to build, created to create, created to write songs, created to write speeches, created to do science, created to do so much good in the world. All of that represents our, our vocation, our purpose. It's the seed of our faith. And when we do those things, and we do them well, we do them with integrity, and we do them in the right order, then good things grow. Things that we get to enjoy. Things that feed us. But we have a, a part to play in it. And then, and then we don't. And this is the other thing I notice. We have a part to play. And then at some point, that part ends. You plant the seed. You cover it with dirt. You water it. You pull the weeds. You fertilize the soil. And at some point, you have to let go. Because you can't make the seed grow. You put the yeast in the bread and you knead it. You work it into the dough. But listen, if you keep kneading that bread, it's going to be stiff and terrible, right? At some point, you got to stop. You got to put it in the bowl, a little bit of olive oil, and cover it. I'm getting really hungry. <laughs> and you got to walk away from the dough. You have to walk away from it for several hours. You have to plant the seed and water it and walk away from it for several days. You teach your children. You do the best that you can for them. You protect them. You, you praise them. You give them skills. You protect them. And then at some point, you have to let them go. It's the letting go that I think hangs us up. The, the gap between doing our part and waiting for the good outcome, that gap in between is a mystery that we can't control. And it is either a, an eternity of torment because you need to control it, you want to control it, you are afraid of the bad outcomes, or it is a moment of bliss and serenity because you have learned to let go. You have learned to trust the outcome, whatever it is. And it isn't always good. Sometimes the garden doesn't grow the way you wanted it to. 
sometimes the, the relationship doesn't move in a healthy direction. It's the bit about life that we can't control that makes life so difficult, so painful. And that is where the faith lies. Faith is in that gap between our part and the outcome that we cannot control. That gap in between is a mystery. There's something at work there that's bigger than us, that's better than us, that's wiser than us, that integrates all of the factors that we can't possibly be in control of. And if we were in control of it, we would totally break it. It's our ability to trust after we let go that the outcome is okay, no matter what it is. That is faith. And if you think the world is a terrible, violent, awful, ugly, punishing place at heart, then you will go crazy trying to grab for control in that mystery. But if you think at the heart of the world, at the heart of the universe, there is a goodness, a kindness, a love, a kind of grace that you can trust, then you'll be at peace, no matter the outcome. That's spiritual maturity. Now, some of us experience this gap in a couple of different ways, and I'll end with this. Some of us experience this gap, this mystery in between our part and the outcome, that part that we can't control. Some of us experience that as a person. A good and loving father who's close to us, intimate with us, there for us. And because we experience that mystery as a person, we find peace when we don't have control. Others do not experience that mystery as a person. They experience it as a kind of power, but not their power. It's a power of goodness that is at work in the universe, in the cosmos, that is somehow mysteriously weaving it all together in a way that you can't understand. But even though you don't experience it as a person, you see it, you experience it, you trust it, you believe it, and it gives you peace in that mystery. Other people experience that gap as a kind of process. That life is unfolding in ways that are good and gracious, that you can trust. There is a sort of process at work in the universe it's a little bit like Martin Luther King Jr. saying the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Only for those who imagine God as a kind of process, it's not just the moral universe that this process is unfolding. It is the entire cosmos. It is the biological universe. It is the cosmological reality that we all exist in that extends from now until eternity. It is an unfolding process that we can trust. Now, here's the beauty of it. Jesus used metaphors for all three. The ugliness of it is that in church and in our tradition, we tend to fight over those metaphors. If you experience God as a good and loving person, a father, then there are those who will say that that's the only way to be a person of faith. But that is just patently false. 
Christianity is full of a deep and rich history of people who have experienced that mystery in so many different ways. And fighting over the metaphor misses the point. Whether you experience God as a person or as a kind of power that you can rely on or as a process that unfolds, the point is not which metaphor helps you find peace. The point is what helps you to let go at the right moment so that you don't try to control the process and hurt yourselves and others while you're at it. Jesus called this uh, mystery a good father who feeds us good things. He also called this mystery a mother hen who gathers her chicks. He also called this mystery a wind that blows. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. He also called this a light that illuminates our path. He also called this bread that feeds us eternally. Jesus and Paul both summed up all of these metaphors in one word. I'll bet you know what it is. Close. Love. It's love. It's love. Not just a gushy, like, mushy, love that gives people whatever they want, but the kind of love that gives itself for whatever people need. The kind of love that trusts that if you sow in that kind of care, you will reap goodness. This is faith. I know it's really hard to get our hands around. So instead, let's try to experience it a little bit. Amen. Amen.